Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Jack and Joe Show. We talk about property, business, and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin-Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness. Welcome to another episode of the Jack and Joe Show with your host, Joe McCarthy and... Jack Heskin-Taylor. And today we have Ollie Walsh. Ollie is an estate agent, letting agent, and a portfolio landlord based here in Liverpool. He's also a property developer, and he has some developments going on in London. So, Ollie, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on. My yeah. very first podcast. Lovely. Great to have you. Great <laughs> to have you. Um, so, do you want to just tell the people who are listening a bit about yourself, uh, about your background, and... Uh, what you're doing before property and how you got involved? Yeah, sure. So I moved full time into property about three years ago now. Um, prior to that, I was working the the proper sort of nine to five thing, which was more like eight till eight, as yeah. uh, I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to. Um, and I was doing that since I left university. I was working for IBM for seven years. It was a, a great experience, but it got to a point where I was just dreading going into work. Mm. I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Um, I felt like I'd kind of lost meaning in, and kind of purpose in my life. So I decided to leave that. Uh, I was lucky enough I had a kind of a foot in the door with property because my dad's been in property for the last 20 years. He's invested heavily in Manchester. Um, so I was like, okay, I, I have an in. <laughs> so <laughs> there's uh, uh, someone I can learn from. And uh, so when I left uh, IBM, I decided to go into property and I asked my dad, where do you think would be good to invest? And his advice was to come to Liverpool as he sees Liverpool as what Manchester was 20 years ago. So okay. Liverpool's done a lot of growth in the last 15 to 20 years and that seems to be expanding out now to Liverpool. A lot of people talking about Liverpool now, uh, Rob and Rob's podcast, as I'm sure a lot of people know about, they, they, their number one hotspot is Liverpool this year. Um, so... It started off like that, then about three years ago, I came up to Liverpool with a mate of mine. There was an auction coming up, and one vendor was selling off 21 of their derelict properties in Anfield. Mm. Uh, so I came up, didn't really know what I was doing, just had a, had a look around with, with my friend. Um, and these properties were on the market, the guide prices were so low, so you had people from all over the country coming up, because you see a, a property on the market, a two-bedroom house for 20000 and mm-hmm. people, it just attracts people yeah. from all over the place. So came up with my mate. Uh, we went around, I put an offer in on a couple of these properties um, and didn't didn't get them. So one developer had come along and bought all 21 of these properties and they were in a state. They were in a complete state that had been boarded up for the last twenty year, 10 to 20 years, um, owned by a housing association, which is a story for another podcast because it's a travesty that a housing association let these houses rot for that long. Yeah, uh, but yeah, don't get me started on that one. And um, yeah, so six months went by. 
Uh, I'd been slowly building my portfolio. Just before I left my job, I'd remortgaged my flat in Croydon, so it gave me a pot of cash to invest with. If you don't mind me asking, what was the, what was the first thing you did in property? The very first thing I did was to buy a bog-standard, two-up, two-down rental in Anfield. Okay. It cost me £30,000. It needed uh, five grand um, to do it up, nice. and then just, just rented it out. What, what year was that? How long ago? That was in 2017. Okay, not too long ago then. Yeah, yeah, so still, yeah, with all, all of this has sort of happened within the last three years or so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was by doing it really to start with that you, you learn all the various issues that you, you'll only learn by doing the stuff and, and learning what happens when you have run-ins with utility companies or uh, or a tenant who decides to fiddle the electrics and all this kind of stuff. I've, I've experienced it all the hard way, unfortunately. Um yeah, so then um, six months went by. Uh, I was driving around with my dad at the time, actually looking for, just literally would drive up and down roads looking for boarded up houses that we could download the land registry title and, and send a letter to the landlord. Uh, went back on this street in Anfield that I'd viewed these houses on and all these houses were still boarded up. Um, and this was six months that whoever had just bought this had gone by. So we're like, why aren't, haven't these been done up yet? Um, so we decided to look on the land registry. We saw this housing association still owned them. So obviously the deal hadn't actually gone through or something, gave them a call. And we had one of those moments where it was, uh, one of those sort of light bulb moments that you, you sort of, you hear about and you're like, oh, this will never happen. But it did. And we called right at the right moment. Mm. And, uh, the housing association said, it's funny you should call us because that deal has just fallen through. Right. are you interested and we're like yes yeah. <laughs> and uh Lovely. so went and viewed them all again all 21 uh given I, I hadn't done anything like this before that would have been way too much to take on um so we decided to cherry pick the 13 best ones which were the ones in the worst condition uh, <laughs> those because those were obviously the cheapest ones yeah. um and uh my dad ended up buying seven of them i bought six of them and uh, then we spent the next six months building a team, a refurb team that was going from house to house, doing the, the full work. So they were all complete rip outs, complete back to brick jobs. Nice. Um, new central heating systems, new kitchens, new bathrooms, everything. Um, and yeah, kind of learned, again, learned the hard way. You got ripped mm. off by a few people, nice. as, as happens, as you're learning the ropes. Um, but it all, all went very well. What were you spending typically on each one, roughly? It, it depends because there was uh, a range of, of quality. So probably the average for each of them was about 15,000 or so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and But obviously when you're doing 13 and you're buying 13 boilers and that kind of stuff, yeah. you can get yeah. new deals. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we did quite well on that front. So the economy um, is of scale, really. Exactly. Big bargains that way. Exactly. And uh, yeah, that was when it really took off, I suppose, because it was such a big project. It all went really well. Um, I moved into the street that these houses were on. Uh, so I was living there for about 18 months, two years. Um, so I've seen the, the sights, sounds and smells of Anfield at right. first hand. It's, it's got a charm to it. I love it. I've got to say, I, I really do love it. You guys know now as well, like what it's like. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was an awesome project. And by the end of that, um, I got to a point where I'd run out of my own money. Um, so I started offering what I had just done for, for myself to other investors. So mm. I, I 
a load of old colleagues were interested in what I was doing. Yeah. I was getting so many questions about it. People who had savings in the bank that were sat in an ISA earning nothing, uh, who wanted to get into property, but they didn't know how to do it. Um, they saw what I'd been doing. Uh, so I set up a service where I would do a sort of a full hands-off package of mm. sourcing, refurbishment, um, and then the subsequent management yeah. uh, of properties. And did that for about a year or so. Um, and then so I, I still do it a little bit here and there now when I haven't got my own projects going on. But I, I wound down that side of the business a bit because my, my own, I started remortgaging my own houses and then my focus is to build my own portfolio. But when there's a lull um, doing that or I'm waiting to remortgage, then I'll, I'll take on a house and I'll, I'll do something like that again for, for another investor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how I, I got into it really. And I... I don't really know where the last three years have gone uh, and it's been, a, it's been a lot of work. Um, and as I say, a lot of horror stories on the way, uh, cannabis farms, non-paying tenants, all, all the, the horrors that you can, you can think about, but it has been very rewarding. Uh, it's been, yeah, brilliant. I, I, I enjoy being my own boss. Um, although I, I kind of am, uh, at the whim of my tenants a lot, a lot of the time, but <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's kind of my my history. Yeah, lovely. So um, with your actual properties then, because like, you know you have some of them as service accommodation also, so um, what kind of uh, motivated you to try out service accommodation as an, as an avenue? Service accommodation is a massive buzzword now, and, and it, was, it was sort of picking up 18 months ago or so, and a lot of my houses are near Anfield Stadium, so you've got the football crowd coming in, mm. and um, so... Just decided when one tenant moved out, let's experiment with turning this into an Airbnb. And uh, went to a charity shop, kitted out the house for about 500 quid with furniture and that kind of stuff, put it on Airbnb. And then the booking started flying in. Mm. And um, and it was I, I wanted to grow it quite slowly because you, you, can't, you need to get the processes in place and get the team set up and yeah. um, make sure it can be managed properly because as soon as you start, if you start getting negative reviews in, then your bookings just tail off. Um, so yeah, did, did it with one and then it went really well. So then I waited for another tenant to move out on the same road and then did it again mm. and then did it again and setting up um, the fifth one uh, at the moment. So that'll be up and running in about a month or so. That's the same road as the house that you bought with your dad? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. The, the one that's being turned into an Airbnb is actually closer to uh, Goodison Park, so trying to okay. attract some of the, the Everton crowd. But the all, the other four are all in those um, streets near Anfield. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, and it, it's been... It's more work to set up, but when the process is running, it's um, it, it kind of runs itself. And, yeah. again, you, it's not passive. It's uh, had a, a guest come and throw a party... Um, uh, one night just before Christmas, mm. um, loads of drugs were being done in the house. There were 648 of this, these laughing gas canisters there the wow. next day. And it was an absolute nightmare. And there were holes punched in the wall and this kind of <sighs> stuff. So again, learnt the hard way with that. Mm. Um, and I, I was a, a little bit of a victim of my own automation. I'm really, I'm a bit of a nerd and I love automation. And I, I've got a, some software set up so that if there's, uh, I generally only accept minimum two night bookings, mm. and previous to this, if one of if there was a night free within the next four days, it would automatically change the minimum night stay 
from two to one just to mm. encourage people to book it out. And unfortunately, uh, it was booked out on a Monday night, which is the cheapest pop- possible night you can get it. So someone saw the opportunity and mm. uh, threw a party and uh, paid the price for that. I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but that's the only real horror story with the service accommodations in the last in the last 18 months of doing it. Yeah. Right. So, how did the... Um... How did the sourcing go and, and the management that you're doing as well? How did you make much money of it? Was it was it very good? How how did you find that experience? Yeah, it, it was okay. And particularly while I was waiting to remortgage my own things, um, and I, I built up a, a kind of a refurbishment team and that kind of thing, and I didn't want to lose the guys onto other projects. Um, so it was really good, and I I, I enjoyed it because. There were lots of people, I was going to pin meetings and property networking meetings and lots of people just interested in finding someone who was doing the complete hands-off thing. Because yeah. often you'll, you'll find people are doing sourcing uh, and that's great, then you find a house, but then it's up to the investor who's got a nine to five job down in London, for example, to then find someone who's going to manage the refurb and then someone yeah. to let it. So there was a lot of interest with the full package service. Um and to be honest, it, it was all—it was all just through referrals, really. I didn't really do much advertising to get my, my various clients. I mean, three of my clients were actually old colleagues, so that that wasn't particularly hard. My very first client was um, someone I met at, at a networking event that was introduced me to by introduced to me by someone else. Um, he ended up doing two with me, and then referred me on to someone else. Um, so it tended to go like that, really. And it, again, I. I would say 75% of the deals that I found were not off-market. Everyone goes on about off-market deals and all this kind of stuff. They were through relationships I've got with various agents. Mm. Um, and I went and viewed the property. And th- there was something very attractive about the prospect of t- to investors about being sent a spreadsheet which had all the details. Like, this is the house. Not just an estimated refurb, an actual quote that says, this is what we will charge you to do the refurb, mm. and it is us who's going to be doing it. Um, and this is the fee that we're going to charge after to, to manage the property. So it was uh, it was kind of a very easy decision for investors to make at the time mm. when I was doing it. Um, and it tended to be all off the back of, I'd, I'd, if I started having a chat with an investor, I'd invite them up for half a day to Liverpool, give them a tour around, show them my own projects, tell them the horror stories, this kind of thing. Um, and then nine times out of 10 after that, the investor would choose to just buy the property that I'd, I'd sourced without coming to see it. I'd do the video tour and all this kind of stuff. But it was because I had that relationship with them that they, they felt the confidence to, to buy it and, and go ahead with it. Um, and it went really well and, and did about 12 projects in less than a year, I think it was. Um, but then it, it got to a point where that was taking up all of my time and I lost track of the, the main focus for me for doing all of this which was to build my own portfolio yeah mm. um so it was good while it lasted uh, i still do it from time to time when there's time to do it um but yeah it's kind of back onto focusing on my own stuff now really okay very good um so talk to us about your your deal there in croydon um yeah very interesting one yeah that, that's an exciting one so mm. i've lived in croydon just south of london for the last six years yeah. um actually coming up seven years now <clears throat> And out the back of my, I live in a small block of flats, four flats in my block. Uh, and out of my back window, you can see a small plot of land which has 10 garages on it. Mm-hmm. I've been looking out at this land out my window for the last six years thinking, you could do something with that. <laughs> <laughs> the light bulb's going off. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and then a few years, years later, I started getting into 
property stuff. And I was like, well, I, I should pursue this. Um, mm. So I wrote a letter to, it wasn't easy to find out who owned the piece of land because it, it wasn't just a, a normal address because it wasn't a house. So I couldn't just go and look up the address on the land registry and download the title. So I, I had to write to them and then they sent me back all the various titles in the area of land that I'd highlighted. Who did you write to? How did you find out? So that, it's just a process with the land registry. I, I need to look, it, there's guidance on the, the government website for the land registry and you literally, I think you pay something like three pounds yeah. i had sent him a check in the post all done by snail mail mm. and uh, you fill out their form and you I printed off a google map thing put and drew the outline around the map of the, the land i wanted to find out and then a couple of weeks later they wrote back to me with the title um yeah. of, of who owned it um wrote the guy a letter i think i might have written him three or four letters actually and then i must have caught him in the right moment and he wrote back to me and said yes i am interested in in selling it um my original plan was to sign an option agreement with him because I, it's mm. a little bit of a contentious piece of land. Um, it's kind of a backland development between some other properties. So I didn't want to take on the full risk of sort of buying oh, yeah. it and then potentially not getting planning permission. Then I'm stuck with this mm. <laughs> piece of land. Mm. Uh, but it took literally 18 months going back and forth with his solicitor and my solicitor trying to sign this deal, not mm. through any fault of his own, if I'm completely honest, it was the solicitors dragging their feet. Right. And it got to a point where too much time was passing and I decided to, to see if he was interested in selling it to me now at a reduced price given that I would be taking on all the risk of potentially not getting planning. Mm. Um, and he agreed to that and that went through about three weeks ago now, nice. uh, which is exciting. Uh, and now it's all just going and trying to get planning now. So uh, it gets a little bit more complicated because there is um, a piece of land right next to my piece of land that's owned by uh, another guy who actually is the guy that I bought my flat off <laughs> seven years ago. <laughs> and um, so we've been negotiating together about can we do something together, join our pieces of land. Mm. Um, maybe we could make more out of the site working together. He's also a developer as well. He's done this before. I haven't done this before. So I feel like there's a lot I could learn from him as well. Um, so we're just exploring various options at yeah. the moment. So I, I'm going to explore what can be done on my piece of land. He's exploring what can be done on his piece of land. And then maybe we'll come back together in a couple of months and decide we'll be better off together or, or not. Okay, so, very good. And because uh, I've seen some of your plans there as well, it was for about what, eight flats, eight different flats? Yeah, so if we combine our sites, we could do yeah. eight flats. Um, just on my site, we're going to go for six flats. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, see where we get to with that. It, it, it is, we are going to be pushing the boundaries a little bit with this. Right. Uh, we're following, as you, you, you saw guidelines. in the plans, we're following the guidelines. So we're right up to the boundary of mm. sort of overlooking and all this kind of stuff. But Croydon Council are, are putting through a lot uh, at the moment. They, they really, really are encouraging developers mm -hmm. to um, put in as, as many dwellings as you possibly can. I, I was had some bedtime reading of their guidance documents recently. Right. <laughs> and it was surprisingly interesting, actually. And you, you read stuff in there that you're, when, I suppose when you're new to it, you're surprised to hear. Like, mm. they specifically say, we will reject any application that um, has, uh, oh no, we will only accept applications that utilises the minimum amount of parking spaces. So you're, you're sort of like, you would have thought maybe they'd want a, every flat to have a parking space, but no, they, they want you to have the minimum level of parking so they want you to maximize the amount of space for actual living spaces and okay. dwellings yeah, really. that you can get so they've got that um 
another piece of guidance that says uh, any application that does not maximize the um, the potential of the site mm. uh, will be rejected. So again, if you only put in an application for four units and they think you could get six on there or eight on there, they'll reject it. Nice. So they'll encourage you to do more. Yeah, so yeah. that was very interesting. And again, this is all theory at the moment, because yeah. it's just from what I've read. Yeah. If it actually happens in practice, I'll find out in about six months. Yeah. <laughs> for, for anyone listening, when you speak about them boundaries and what you're going right up to and that, is there any basic stuff you could give us a bit of insight to? So in Croydon, yes. Um, I'm pretty sure it'll vary from council to council. So yeah. in Croydon, where I am, you have to be... 18 meters your your new structure has to be at least 18 meters away from an existing dwelling yeah um or if you own a house and you're going to build a new structure in your back garden for example then because you own the host dwelling as they call it then you can be 15 meters away Mm. for some reason (laughs) um so those are two what, what else is there then there's a whole load of other stuff about overlooking and and all this kind of stuff and um what is it there's so my block of flats that i live in is four stories high so i think the very maximum because it's kind of in the backland area behind the block the very maximum we'd be able to put ours up to is, is three so i think oh, you have really? to be one yeah. less than okay. the surrounding um the surrounding houses um so there's things like that and i'm sure there's a whole load more that i have no idea about yet yeah <laughs> But that's what that's what the, the architects for. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what's your exit strategy on them? Are you looking to build to hold, or what's your that plan? Uh, good question. So it depends uh, because I've, I've run the numbers on just selling or mm. take out mortgages on all of them and yeah. hold on to them for the foreseeable. That would be my preference, to be honest, to hold on to them. Yeah. Um, there's a few things to consider with uh, help to buy. So help to buy is currently, it's changing in its current form in 2021 and then it's going to shift into something else uh, up until 2023 and then it might get extended again. I've been talking to some agents recently uh, about help to buy and the majority of them basically said it should be called help to sell because it's mainly a benefit to developers. Really? Yeah. And because you're in an, if you think about it, you're in an interesting position with this where all of a sudden, let's say a, a standard two bedroom flat in Croydon uh, a new build is going to cost you probably 350000 And an existing one, let's say, is probably going to be on the market, a similar one, but it's it's not a new build, is going to be worth 300000 right? Mm. With help to buy, you have a weird situation where you have more people who are able to afford the 350000 new build than the 350000 existing flat because mm. they only have to put down a 5, 5% deposit, all this kind of stuff. So uh, from what I've heard, th- this has sort of been increasing the price of of new builds understandably because there's more demand for them um so what i'm weighing up in my head at the moment is whether i want to try and capitalize on that before the scheme potentially ends in 2023 so sell them all um but my preference would be to hold on to them so sort of pay back the development finance from mortgaging all the flats hold on to them for 10 or 20 years because I, i think like liverpool I think Croydon has got a long way up to go. Yeah. Um, I w- I'm biased because I've been there for the last seven years and I love the place. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's got it's got a long way to go. You've got Westfield Shopping Centre, who's hopefully going to be coming. They've been talking about that for donkey's years now, but it should be happening, I hope. You're 15 minutes on the train from Gatwick. Um, so it, it's becoming more of a popular area. 
So uh, we'll see. I, I don't know. Is yeah. there the short answer to yeah. that very long answer that I just gave. Yeah, <laughs> no worries, no worries. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so it's getting back to Liverpool then. Um, how are you finding the management? And Because um, that was a new avenue for you as well, wasn't it? When yeah. You came up here? yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, doing the kind of letting stuff, uh, I did it all on my own property to start with. So learned the ins and outs of it that way uh, before taking on other investors' properties. And it, it runs fairly smoothly, to be honest. There's always, there, there's little things that are always happening. There's, there's late rents coming in. There's leaks. There's... Uh, kitchen ceilings falling in that happened a couple months ago mm-hmm. there's damp there's all this kind of stuff and uh it used to stress me out a lot more than it does now when i first started doing it um it would kind of keep me up at night a bit but i've kind of learned that, that there's always problems and i know that i will do my very best to fix them mm. um and these things are going to have boilers are going to break down yeah. and i'm not a gas engineer so all I can do is call the gas engineer who will go and do his thing and he'll sort it out. And Yeah, it's kind of like detaching from it a bit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a, a little bit or else it'll drive you insane. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm managing a lot of properties at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's always there's always issues, always. Um, and I can't let it keep me up at night or else I won't sleep. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so but I, I enjoy it. And uh, I've got a really, really great team of, of contractors around me that I've, I've built up over the last three years or so. Um, I work with uh, a lady called Vicky who manages my service accommodations for me, who is absolutely brilliant. I would not be able to do any of that without her. She's amazing and, and uh, a team of, of builders that, that I use who are brilliant, just really reliable. You know that they'll do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. Um, so, and that, that really helps. If you know you've got someone who can help you on the other end of the line, yeah. um, that's, the, that's the best thing. It took you long to build demolition chips. Uh, it, it, when you when you find the right people, the relationships are built quite quickly. But yeah. I have gone through a number of uh, wrong people, shall yeah. we say, and uh, people who this was because I, I did actually start um, coming up on the weekends while I still had my old job, um, and then I, I bought my first place. I bought while I still had my old job, um, so then I had to employ a contractor who did the refurb, and I just had to trust that he was doing it right because yeah. I could only come up sort of once every couple of weeks or something and I had a demanding job as it was and uh, that was an experience that I got I got ripped off with and I'd, I'd yeah. come up and what he said was done wasn't done or it wasn't right. done to a good standard um, so that's happened a couple of times um, but you, you eventually find the dream team <laughs> eventually yeah. they come along and uh, yeah I'm so grateful for for all these people I've met in the last sort of couple of years. Um, yeah, because you, you need those those people around you, from mm. the contractors on the ground to mortgage brokers to solicitors and mm. all this kind of stuff. It takes a while to find people that you connect with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so took a while, but we're there now. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, what are your bigger plans going forward? Like, do you have like a five-year goal or a ten-year goal, or you know your overall plans and property? What's the what's the big vision? Uh, good question. And I feel bad for not having one. Uh, <laughs> um, I property for me is I I what I enjoy about it is running my own business. So I I'm in charge of my own destiny, kind of, mm. and. Uh, I, I've set up a few little funky businesses in the past, some weird things, and I just enjoy the creativity of being able to do it. Mm. Um, 
am I like majorly passionate about property? Probably not, to be honest. Like I enjoy everything around running a business and running a team and interacting with them and that kind of stuff. So will I still be doing this in five or 10 years? The answer to that is probably yes. Will it be my main thing? I don't know. I don't know. I would love to start some kind of a, a software business or a product business or something. Um, I can get bored quite easily. So it'd be great to get to a size, to get the, my property business to a size where I can um, employ someone who manages everything for me. Mm. Um, so then I can focus uh, on either, I don't know, expanding the development side of the business or yeah. expanding or just going out and finding the deals and, and negotiating with investors and that kind of stuff. Um, or it'll let me focus on something else. My, my latest thing, I, I would love to open a bar in Croydon. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's becoming very gentrified, so I feel like it's a it's a good place to open a bar. Right. I think you do that with your development. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. It'd be a weird place to put yeah, a bar, yeah. but you never know. It could be very popular. It won't go down well with the neighbours. Oh god, no. <laughs> oh, you can soundproof it. You know. <laughs> so yeah, so that that's the plan. I'm I'm pretty content with with what I'm doing at the moment. So, and the model for me up in Liverpool uh, is something that I'm just repeating. So it's sort of. There's this niche, there's this funny niche with um, the properties that I'm focusing on here, where if you buy a property for um, the, the minimum property price, the minimum property valuation to get a buy-to-let mortgage is 50,000. I don't know of any lenders who will give you a mortgage on properties under 50,000. So if you can buy a property for under 50,000, so let's say you find one that needs a lot of work for 30,000, bizarrely enough, there's less slightly less competition for those because there's less people who can afford them because yeah. you, you have to be a cash buyer. Mm. So if you can go buy one of those, spend, let's say 10,000 on the refurb, so you, you're 40,000 all in, and then you've pushed it up to 50,000 so you can take a mortgage out on it, then you take a mortgage out on it, pull out most of, if not all of your cash, yeah. and then repeat. That's essentially what I've done. I started off with, with a pot of cash from my, my remortgage in mm. Croydon, and uh, I've just been repeating doing that. And I've been tempted to go into HMOs and all this other stuff that, that people talk about. But I've just stuck with your vanilla two up, two downs, rent them out. The, the only variation to that is me now going more and more into service accommodation. Right. Um, I haven't ventured into HMOs. Maybe at some point. I haven't ventured into commercial units yet. Maybe at some point. Um, yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I need there to set go. a goal though. You guys, you guys inspire me with the way you are to <laughs> set goals and visions. And I am doing pretty good. But the model okay. that you're doing right now is is working pretty well for you. So yeah, you know, it's if it ain't broke, okay. don't fix it. You know. Yeah, gonna... true. I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah. All right, I'm not going to do a vision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's been really, really good, Ollie. Thanks very much. I'm sure we'll do. Um, We'll do part two at some point soon. I'm sure cool. we will. We can do the next one in Croydon. Yeah, sounds yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll do a tour of the development that's just coming along as well. Absolutely. We'll have to go for a video tour. Yeah, yeah. Great to see that evolve. Absolutely. I'm planning on starting a YouTube channel. Once it gets, oh, yeah. once it gets going, the development stuff. I'd love to document like month by month videos. Definitely. Do do do. Uh, just learning along the way because, as I say, I haven't done it before, <laughs> so it'll be. I've got a lot of learning to do. That'll um, be so excellent. It'll be quite cool to. Yeah, document it along the way. If you've yeah. got the time to do it and you're quite creative, it's it's enjoyable to do. Like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, where can people reach out and get in contact with you? 
Uh, good question. Uh, my company's website is revelo-properties.co.uk. That's Revelo is in the reverse of Oliver. R-E-V-I-L-O hyphen properties. You've never told us. No. Do you know that? No. That's pretty easy. <laughs> how did we... How did you not know I thought it was like Revlio as well. Yeah, a lot of people said Revlio, 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 Ravioli. The funniest thing is... Cryptic. I had my logo done. I didn't realise this. And I put my logo on Instagram for my company's page. And so it's Revlio Properties. And on Instagram... They square out the picture, so I put it on there, and, I, and they've cropped it. So now it just says "evil properties." <laughs> they've out the R and the O. Uh, so I, oh, I didn't think that one through. Did I? Oh, um, so people could find me there on Instagram at uh, Oliver Walsh Eight. I'm not a massive social media person, but feel free to follow me. You'll you'll see videos of refurbs and toilets and stuff. <laughs> um, that's probably about it, really. Brilliant. Right. Cheers, Ali. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thanks very Cheers. much for having Thank me. You. Appreciate Spot it. See you, later. See you Bye. We talk about property, business, and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness. 